Beloved, our call to worship this morning is from Ezekiel 11, verse 19 and 20. And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and will give them an heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, and keep mine ordinances and do them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Continue reading in the Word of God in the New Testament this morning, the Gospel according to John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3, we'll read verses 1 through 21. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not, but I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly, earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have, a, have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. May God bless the reading of his holy, precious, and infallible word to our hearts. Beloved, our text for this morning is from John chapter 3. We'll consider verses 1 through 15, but I'd just like to read verse 3 and verse 5. Verse 3 and verse 5. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Together with that, we'll consider Lord's Day 3 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which you can find on page 29, in the back of the Psalters. Lord's Day 3, page 29, in the back of the Psalter. 
So last time we considered humanity in the court of God's justice. And we saw that there was no wiggle room before the bar of God's justice that all of us have sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. Lord's Day 3 continues and picks up this teaching of, of man's depravity and sin, highlighting creation and then original sin and then regeneration, our way out of this state before God. So question six, did God then create man so wicked and perverse? By no means. But God created man good and after his own image in true righteousness and holiness, that he might rightly know God his creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal happiness to glorify and praise him. Question seven, whence then proceeds this depravity of human nature? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. Hence, our nature has become so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. Question eight, are we then so corrupt that we are wholly incapable of doing any good? And inclined to all wickedness? Indeed we are. Except we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Well, this Lord's Day is extremely important in the culture and day in which we live. If we wish to answer a lot of the arguments that come at us in today's climate... We need a biblical anthropology. We need a biblical anthropology. What is anthropology, children? That's a hard word, isn't it? Anthropology simply means the study of man. Who is man? Why has God created him? Why do you and I exist? The study of man includes sin, how man has been incapacitated, how man is unable to seek God because of sin. And so we need a a healthy, a biblical anthropology, the study of man that arises from the Scriptures, not just the philosophy of man. So if we want to answer critical race theory today, we need to have a biblical anthropology. We need to know that man was created in the image of God. We are all equal before God. Not one race is superior over another. Sin levels the playing field. We all stand in need of God's redemption through Jesus Christ. The same goes for the area of human sexuality. If we want to answer the the challenges that we face in our culture on these points, we need a biblical anthropology. That God created man in his own image, male and female. Gender is binary, meaning there is only male and female. Biblical anthropology informs us that biology teaches us there is one man and one woman. And so this Lord's Day is extremely important to understand and to grasp We want to do that this morning through the lens of John 3 as Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Because not only is this Lord's Day important for the cultural issues that we face today, it's important for religious people as well. We are not off the hook when it comes to the impact of sin on our daily lives. Here is a man, Nicodemus, John describes him as a man of the Pharisees, a man who comes to Jesus by night, a learned man, a religious man. He too needed this teaching that is set forth in the Scriptures from Jesus' own mouth and summarized for us in Lord's Day 3. And so we've seen from Lord's Day 3 how man was created good and in God's image, 
true righteousness and holiness, to know God and to live for Him, to glorify Him, to love Him, and to serve Him. We've seen original sin. Everything that we do, everything that we think, everything that we feel in our hearts, desire in our hearts, is tainted by sin. We are conceived and born in sin. We call that original sin. And thirdly, we see from Lord's Day 3, the great necessity of humanity to be born again. If there is to be any hope for humanity, it lies in the powerful work of the Holy Spirit to make sinners alive unto God, to serve Him and to restore Him unto God, to that original purpose for which God created us. And so this morning, I want to consider with you the new birth, the new birth. It's dire necessity. Secondly, it's divine origin. And thirdly, it's glorious possibility. It's dire necessity. Well, why do you and I need the new birth? Well, there are several reasons for it this morning. First of all, if we go back and consider how God created us. So man's creation implies that there is a dire necessity. We're living on this side of paradise. We're living on this side of Eden What happened in Eden is foreign to us in terms of God's creation, how He created us, how He created man without sin, how man had this moral rectitude, how man was created upright in righteousness and holiness without knowing sin. Don't you long to know that? To know a day and a time where there will be no more sin in your life. It's not something we're going to achieve on this side of glory. If you're a believer this morning, you're going to be fighting. You're going to be battling against sin, against the evil desires of our flesh because we have fallen from that original state in which God has created us through Adam. That's implicit in what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus about the need for the new birth. The very fact that Jesus is teaching Nicodemus about the necessity of the new birth or what we call regeneration implies that there was something before from which man has fallen. And so we need to go back to the beginning. We need to go back to the very beginning to understand the doctrine of sin. In order to understand the doctrine of sin, we need to understand how God originally created us, what was before the fall. Man was created in God's image, answer 6 tells us. Man was created in righteousness. He was created in holiness. He was set apart by God from all of creation to live for God's glory and to commune with Him. Nicodemus would have known this. As a Pharisee, he was a man of the Scriptures, of the Old Testament Scriptures, learned in the Scriptures. In fact, Jesus rebukes Nicodemus in verse 10. He says, Art thou a master or a teacher in Israel and knowest not these things? Nicodemus, are you a teacher? And do you not know the need for regeneration? Do you not know that God originally created man in righteousness and holiness? many in our day who do not know or willfully suppress this truth, that man was created in God's image. We turn this this doctrine on its head and we, we create man in our own image. And it gets us into all kinds of knots, doesn't it? It's what we face today in our culture in critical race theory of one race trying to assert dominance over another. We've seen that in the past, of course, in the history of our nation. Racism. Racism is sin. And now what we're seeing is reverse racism of, of one race asserting itself over another. And race is really the wrong term to use, isn't it? Because we are all one race, a human race under God. We can speak of ethnicities. We can speak of skin color. But there is one race. And the reality that we face today is that it's a fallen human race. 
And as long as time exists, there will be one race seeking to assert itself over another because of sin. But the original purpose for which God created man was to glorify him, to live in close communion with him without sin. Speaks to us the dire necessity to be born again, to be restored into that righteousness and holiness through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So man's creation teaches us that we need the new birth. It teaches us from where we have fallen. That's why we sang Psalm 8 this morning. As David is sitting there in the fields of Bethlehem, he's considering the stars, he's considering God's creation, and he says, what is man? That you've given him this place in creation. He's thinking back to before the fall. God has placed man on this earth to subdue the earth. He's made man the crown of his creation, as it were. But man has fallen. We need the new birth. And so it's man's corruption that also speaks to us of the dire necessity. Jesus reveals our corruption as he speaks with Nicodemus. He speaks to it in verse 3. Speaks of humanity's blindness to the realities of the kingdom of God apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot perceive. Put in another way, Jesus is saying that without the new birth, you remain blind to the glorious realities, to God, the glorious realities of God's redemptive work in restoring humanity to its original purpose. You are blind to the fact that Christ is the Savior of sinners. Blind. Man is corrupt. Apart from Christ, you and I cannot see the kingdom of God, this invisible reality that that goes throughout the world, that supersedes and spreads beyond the borders of any country or kingdom in this world. A kingdom that is growing and, and thriving, even though we don't necessarily see that. A kingdom that continues to be built, even in our midst this morning, through the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing sinners into union with Christ. If we're not born again, we're blind to this. It gets worse. In verse 5, Jesus speaks of humanity's deadness. He says, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So man's corruption renders us blind. You are my corruption apart from the redeeming work of Christ renders us blind to the realities of the kingdom of God. But our corruption also renders us dead apart from Christ's redeeming work, from entering into the kingdom of God. Dead men can't walk, can they? Dead man can't enter through a door. That's what Jesus is saying here. Apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless we are born again, implying The man is so corrupt that he's dead, that we stand in need of being born again by the Spirit. And because we are blind and because we are dead, we have hearts of unbelief, hearts that suppress the truth of God. Children, remember that illustration that Mr. Bile used last Sunday night of the beach ball, of trying to push that beach ball under the water. That's who we are apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus addresses that when he says to Nicodemus in verse 12, If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? If Jesus' teaching is not believed by Nicodemus now, and Jesus is going to teach him deeper things, If Nicodemus doesn't believe the things that Jesus already taught him, how is he going to believe the deeper things of the realities of the kingdom of God? A heart of unbelief. 
the effects of the fall on the mind and the heart and the will, its inability to believe the spiritual things of God. This is what Paul writes about, doesn't he? In 1 Corinthians 2.11. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. Apart from Christ, we are blind, we are dead, and we are numbed to the realities of the kingdom of God. And so the new birth is a dire necessity in order to reverse this blindness and this deadness and this unbelieving heart and will and mind. Without the regenerating work of the Spirit, our understandings remain dark and alienated from God, as Paul describes in Ephesians 2. The Catechism speaks of it this way in answer 7. Our nature has become so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. If our first birth renders us this way. The new birth is a dire necessity, isn't it? To reverse the effects of what we've inherited upon conception from Adam. That which we call original sin. This original sin renders us corrupt and unable to do any good and makes us bent towards wickedness apart from Christ. So man's creation, man's corruption speaks to us of the dire need of the new birth. Perhaps we're thinking maybe man's contribution can help. Maybe there's something that we can, we can do, something that we can give that will help us in order to come into the life that is in Christ. But as Jesus teaches Nicodemus, he points out that man is unable to contribute anything to his own rebirth. We need to understand where Nicodemus is coming from. He's a Pharisee. The Pharisees were known for their legalism, man-made rules. They were experts in the law of God, and then they added all kinds of other layers to this law as a way of earning favor with God. They tithed all the herbs from their garden. They made rules, special rules for the Sabbath. You could only walk a certain number of paces on the Sabbath. You could do this but not do that on the Sabbath. Little rules hindering people from entering the kingdom of God. But they thought that their contribution in keeping these laws could earn their salvation. And so this is the context in which Nicodemus comes to Jesus, a Pharisee. But Jesus is speaking here to Nicodemus. He speaks in stark terms. He says, except a man be born again. Except a man be born of water and the Spirit. Ye must be born again. The word except there indicates that the new birth is exclusive. Except ye be born again. There's nothing that you can contribute. It, it sets aside all other human contributions to salvation, to regeneration. It cuts off any of man's contributions this morning. You're in my contributions. Except a man be born again. Ye must be born again. In the Greek, that word must can be translated, it is necessary. It is necessary that ye be born again. And so the doctrine of regeneration, the work of the Holy Spirit, cuts off any of man's contribution. If we're blind and dead and unbelieving, how can we contribute to being brought into life? Man's contribution is shot through with sin and rejected by God. Notice what Nicodemus says about Jesus. 
in verse 2. It's a confession of sorts. There is truth to what Nicodemus is saying, but that confession doesn't pass muster with Jesus. Nicodemus did rightly see something about Jesus that was unique. Listen to what he says. He says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. What did Nicodemus recognize about Jesus? He was a teacher. That's true. He came from God. That's true as well. God was with him, and that's true as well. But one vital link is missing in this confession that Jesus is God. Do you remember that this is the very point that the Pharisees would come after Jesus for? The fact that he claimed he was one with the Father. Keep reading through the Gospel of John, and you'll see that's the very point that they could not accept. That's the one thing Nicodemus did not confess here yet. Because we find him later in the Gospel of John going with Joseph of Arimathea to bury Jesus. We trust that he had learned the realities of the new birth. But right now, as Jesus is speaking to him, I suppose that Nicodemus was closer to the kingdom of heaven than most other Pharisees. And his recognition of Jesus as a teacher come from God with divine origins. But he still did not see Jesus as God, as the Son of Man. As Jesus speaks of himself in verse 13, a designation that Jesus gives to himself, speaking of his divinity, the Son of Man who had all authority in heaven and earth to to teach the realities of which he spoke and to give the realities of which he spoke by his Holy Spirit. It's in response to Nicodemus' confession that Jesus says in verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus' partial confession of truth could not bring him into saving union with Christ. Nicodemus' works as a religious man and as a Pharisee could not bring him into the life of the Holy Spirit could not get him closer to the kingdom of God. Indeed, Jesus says to Nicodemus in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. All that the flesh, the corrupt flesh, produces is more corruption. That's the principle that Jesus is speaking here about. A baby born into the world already possesses this original sin. Corrupt flesh produces more corrupt flesh. Corrupt desires bring forth corrupt actions. Humanity contributes only sin to this equation of life. Paul affirms this principle in Galatians 6, verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. So if we stand before God in the flesh this morning, Our flesh cannot produce anything spiritual apart from the regenerating and sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The new birth is thus a necessity, a dire necessity for those who are apart from Christ, for those who are dead and blind and unbelieving this morning. Does that describe you? And you need to heed the words of Jesus this morning, except you be born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God. As we see from the life of Nicodemus, religious training, religious knowledge does not a spiritual person make, except a man be born again. Last week you were confronted with your sin and guilt. This morning you're confronted with your dire need for rebirth. 
because of the corruption and sin that, that render you totally depraved, unable to earn or produce new life of yourself. Just as there was no wiggle room last week before the bar of God's justice, so there's no wiggle room this morning. Jesus lays it down as a certainty. The dire necessity of the new birth when he says, verily, verily. Truly, truly. Most certainly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. Except you be born again if you are without Christ. Where does that leave you this morning? The necessity of the new birth. Where does it leave you? Maybe a more important question, where does it bring you? Where does it bring you? Or where should it bring you? It should bring you to the source of this new birth. We see the new birth is divine in its origin. In verse 3, we're brought to the source of this new birth. It does not arise from humanity in the first place. If we are shot through with corruption and sin, if we look out at the ills of society and we try to to delegate all the uh, problem-solving to the government and to institutions of society, we're starting off on the wrong foot. We need something that proceeds from God. If it proceeds from humanity, we're always, always going to make a mess of it. We read in verse 3, except a man be born again. That word again can also be translated from above, from above. Jesus says it again in verse 7. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again, or from above. The new birth is an out-of-this-world sort of birth. It's not like the conception and birth of children that arises from natural substance. The new birth proceeds from God Himself, from above. It's supernatural. And it's here that Nicodemus misunderstood what Jesus was teaching. He was puzzled. He thought Jesus was referring to, be, to, to birth, to physical birth, to being born again the second time in the womb. He's puzzled. He says, how can these things be? How can a, a man enter into the womb again when he's old? That's impossible, isn't it? And so Jesus points out that this birth is from above. It's a second birth, as it were, in character. But it comes entirely from God Himself through the Holy Spirit. And that's where you and I are directed this morning, our eyes being taken off of ourselves as any possible source of spiritual life. There's nothing there in here apart from the birth that comes from above. We're conceived and born in sin, David tells us in Psalm 51, which the catechism affirms. We are dead in sins and trespasses, Paul writes in Ephesians 2.5. We need this birth from above if there's going to be any hope for humanity. And so that's where the gospel directs us this morning, in the midst of our dire need of this new birth. It points us to the very source. It comes from God Himself. It comes from entirely outside of us. It invades, as it were, the space of our heart and of our mind and of our wills. This should be an encouragement for us this morning. Encouragement for sinners. Because it comes from above. Because it is divine in origin, it will not fail. The Holy Spirit never makes a mess of this work of regeneration. Life after regeneration can certainly seem messy as we face the reality of indwelling sin. It comes head to head with this new life that we now have 
by the Holy Spirit. But it will not fail in its effects. It will bring to life the impossibility of our human condition gives way to the glorious possibility of the new birth from above. My friend, where are you looking for life this morning? Are you looking for it in the things that you can do, the things that you can contribute? You'll never find it in yourself. You're directed to God alone this morning as the source of spiritual life. A life that Adam forfeited in paradise. Paradise lost. Becomes paradise gained through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so more specifically this morning, you're directed to the Holy Spirit as the author of spiritual life in the hearts and minds of sinners. He comes from above and He quickens and renews sinners. Verse 5 points out the power of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit comes. He invades the heart of a dead sinner. He makes them alive and He makes them walk right into the kingdom of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. In verse 6, Jesus points out that the Spirit is the author of this new birth. Remember, that which is of the flesh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is engendered by the flesh produces more corruption. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes to work in the heart of a dead sinner, He brings life, spiritual life. Jesus compares the Holy Spirit's work to the wind. And children, I'm going to make a little confession this morning. When I was young, I was afraid of the wind. The wind would come and rattle the windows of our home, and I'd be deathly afraid in bed. I'd run to the comfort of my mom. We know what the wind is, don't we? We know the power of the wind. We know how the wind can rattle the windows and shake the trees to and fro. But we don't know where the wind comes from. We can't see the wind. But we can know the effects of the wind. Several years ago, we had straight line winds come through our neighborhood. We didn't know where they came from, we didn't know where they went apart from the effects, from the broken tree limbs, from the broken homes, the devastation that it brought. Of course, of course, the Holy Spirit doesn't bring devastation. It devastates our sin. But it brings new life. It brings wholeness. It brings peace. But the point is, that we can't see the Holy Spirit. We don't know when He comes. We don't know where He comes. He comes sovereignly. And He makes alive by His power. He blows where He wants to. You remember the imagery of Ezekiel 36 and 37 as Ezekiel's prophesying to the dry bones. The dry bones come together. Sinews are attached to the bones and then muscles and then flesh. And Ezekiel has to prophesy to the wind the same word for the word spirit, to the ruach, to the spirit of God, to the spirit of the Lord. And the spirit of the Lord comes and he blows upon those those bodies and there is life. We can know the work of the Holy Spirit by the effects of the Holy Spirit. He causes man to be born again. What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be born from above? Well, we use this term a lot, don't we? You must be born again. 
As we were setting up the new school, Grace Christian Academy, we emphasized the view of our children that you children need to be born again. We throw the term around a lot, but what does it actually mean when the Holy Spirit causes us to be born again, when Jesus says, ye must be born again? So when the Holy Spirit comes, what does he do? Well, I want to take you to one of our confessions. Not the Catechism, but the Canons of Dort this morning. The Canons of Dort summarize beautifully this phrase, this teaching of Jesus from John chapter 3. Turn with me to page 108 in the back of your Psalter, because this is important to understand. Head 3-4 of the Canons of Dort, Articles 11 through 13. Page 108. Article 11. But when God accomplishes his good pleasure in the elect, or works in them true conversion, he not only causes the gospel to be externally preached to them and powerfully illuminates their mind by his Holy Spirit, that they may rightly understand and discern the things of the Spirit of God. So in the first instance there, In the new birth, the Holy Spirit illumines the mind for a right understanding and discerning the things of the Spirit of God. That blindness is reversed that we saw in chapter 3. The emphasis is on the mind of man and how the Holy Spirit illuminates the mind and the understanding. Article 11 continues. But by the efficacy of the same regenerating spirit, God pervades the inmost recesses of the mind, of the man. Listen to this carefully. He opens the closed and softens the hardened heart and circumcises, figuratively speaking, or spiritually speaking, that which was uncircumcised infuses new qualities into the will. Though heretofore dead, he quickens from being evil, disobedient, and refractory or hard. He renders it good, obedient, and pliable, able to be formed and shaped. That's what pliable means. That's what God does to our wills when the Holy Spirit regenerates us. He actuates it. He brings it into life so that the will can act and believe. He strengthens it that like a good tree, it may bring forth the fruits of good actions. So this is the work of the heart and of the will. Opening, softening, circumcising, actuating, strengthening, making alive. The effects of new life, of spiritual life. This is what the Holy Spirit does in the work of regeneration. Listen to Article 12. And this is the regeneration so highly celebrated in Scripture and denominated a new creation. A resurrection from the dead and making alive which God works in us without our aid. So the work of the Holy Spirit is monergistic. That's a theological term for the one-sided work of the Holy Spirit. So regeneration is entirely from God, not man's side. Without our aid, monergistic, one-sided. But this is in no wise affected merely by the external preaching of the gospel, by moral suasion or persuasion, or such a mode of operation that after God has performed his part, it still remains in the power of man to be regenerated or not, to be converted or continue unconverted. But it is evidently a supernatural work, most powerful, and at the same time most astonishing, mysterious, and ineffable, so untraceable. 
So the work of the Holy Spirit is, is in a sense, untraceable in regeneration. It comes and it's there and it's, it makes alive. Sometimes we, we try to look back to the point where we're made alive and we'll not know that, that, what that point is. The only thing that we'll know is the effects of having been made alive. We'll see that in a moment. And in that sense, it's mysterious. We can't point to a particular time or to a particular place and say, that's when I was regenerated. No, the Holy Spirit comes and He works and He illumines the mind and He he activates the will and He renews the heart mysteriously in His own time. But what we know are the effects of regeneration. And so, this work is not inferior in efficacy to creation or the resurrection of the dead, as the Scripture inspired by the author of this work declares. So it's not inferior to creation, which called all things out of nothing. If God could call all things out of nothing at creation, if He could say light, and light appeared, then why can't He say life, and life appears in the heart of a dead sinner? It speaks to the power of God in regeneration, the glorious possibility of regeneration of life. It's not inferior to the resurrection from the dead. If God raised His own Son from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, why can't He raise a dead sinner from death to life this morning? Article 12 continues, so that all in whose heart God works in this marvelous manner are certainly, infallibly, and effectually regenerated, and do actually believe. A child does not know when he's conceived in the womb. When a child is brought into this world through birth, he's not aware of his surroundings, but over time he grows in that awareness. That's true of a person who's been born again. They don't know necessarily when that life was implanted in the heart by the Holy Spirit. But by and by, after time, they will have an awareness that life is there. Becomes active. Man is himself rightly said to believe and repent by virtue of that grace received. This points out the link between regeneration, faith, and repentance. Regeneration comes first is invisible. It actuates the will, makes it active, so that man is rege- who is regenerated is now said to do the actual believing. So upon regeneration, faith is also given at that moment of regeneration. A person is not made alive and then sometime down the road they believe. No, upon regeneration there is faith. When there's that awareness of sin, there is repentance. When the mind is illumined through the Holy Scriptures and through the Holy Spirit, there is repentance that comes as well. Article 13. The manner of this operation cannot be fully comprehended by believers in this life. Notwithstanding which they rest satisfied with knowing and experiencing that by this grace of God they are enabled to believe with the heart and love their Savior. So what is one of the effects of the work of the Holy Spirit? That we find life in Christ. We go to Christ for life. We can't understand this doctrine fully. We can't understand the work of the Holy Spirit fully. We can describe it, what He does. We can know, we can rest satisfied, the canons say, with knowing and experiencing that by this grace of God they are enabled to believe with the heart and love their Savior. We can trust the Holy Spirit in His work of regeneration. We can look at the fruits of this regeneration, the birthmarks of grace, as it were, namely faith and love towards Christ. 
That's where Jesus also brings Nicodemus in his consideration of the new birth faith and love towards Christ for his saving work on the cross. That's our third thought, the glorious possibility of this regenerating work. What's the first sight of a newborn Christian? Is it not a sight of Christ? The sight of Christ brought home by the Holy Spirit. When before the senses were dull and even dead to Christ, but now alive to Christ and his need of Christ. Listen to how Jesus speaks to Nicodemus in verse 14 and 15, and then he fleshes this out further in the remaining verses of 16 through 21. In verse 14, he takes Nicodemus back in history. He gives him an historical lesson. You know the history, Nicodemus. There were the Israelites in the wilderness. They were snake-bit, full of venom, fiery serpents with fiery venom coursing through the veins of these Israelites. That venom is a picture of sin, isn't it? How it shoots through the entirety of man's human nature. But there was hope for those who were infected with this deadly poison back in the wilderness. What was that hope? It was tied to the brass serpent on a pole. They were instructed to look. Some were just bit. Maybe they were still strong. They didn't feel the effects of sin so so greatly yet. But all they had to do was look and be spared. Some were so weak that all they could do was take a glimpse of the serpent before their eyes closed. They'd become unconscious. What do we read of those who looked to the serpent when this venom was coursing through their veins? Numbers 21, verse 9. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. It was life for a look at the brass serpent. It doesn't say how they looked. It doesn't say how long they looked. It simply says when he beheld the serpent, he lived. There was life for a look. That's all. And then Jesus moves from that lesson of history to the present possibility of salvation for Nicodemus. He says to this Pharisee who comes to him by night, who makes a confession of Jesus as a teacher sent from God, the one who misunderstood what Jesus is teaching here, and yet has this necessity of the new birth brought upon him, upon his heart by Jesus. Jesus takes him back to history and then applies the historical lesson in verse 14 and 15. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth or looketh to Him should not perish but have eternal life. My friend, do you want this new birth from above? Do you want life from the Spirit? It comes from God. It comes by looking to Christ who was lifted up on the cross for sinners. What is the message this morning? Don't look inside yourself to see if there's something there in order to live. Look to the Son of Man who was lifted up on the cross and live. It's as easy as that. Don't complicate it. God's work is regeneration. Your responsibility this morning is to look. That's where Jesus brings Nicodemus. That's where he brings you and me this morning. And when you look, it's in the very looking that it's confirmed that you are indeed born again. Why? Because a blind man can't look. A dead man can't see. 
but when you see something of Christ for your own soul and your own dire need. It's a birthmark of the work of the Holy Spirit, a birthmark of being a child of God. And so through the Word, the Spirit comes and bids you look to Christ because that's where He draws sinners. As He illuminates the mind, as He softens the heart, as He actuates the will, He blows. He blows upon dead men and women and children and makes them alive in Christ and causes them to look to Christ. That is the glorious possibility of the new birth. A look when there's life. Are you looking? Are you leaning upon God for life? Remember what Jesus says here. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. When you believe in Christ, you have the life. The life that is in Christ. The life that the Holy Spirit works in the new birth. It's a dire necessity this morning for those outside of Christ. The glorious possibility is that it's found in Christ. As the Holy Spirit draws sinners there this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank Thee for the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration and the new birth, that He does indeed illuminate the mind, soften the heart, and actuate the will so that we are not left neutral, but that we actually do the believing upon regeneration, that we actually do the repenting upon regeneration. And we thank Thee that where regeneration is, though we don't know when it came, we do know that where regeneration is, there is faith, there is believing, there is repentance and confession and turning from sin. Where there is regeneration, there is union with Christ. Where there is regeneration, there is justification. Where there is regeneration, there will be sanctification gradually, but more and more clearly and progressively. Where there is regeneration, there will will be perseverance because that life will not ebb, but it will continue to grow stronger and stronger until the day of glorification. And where there is regeneration, there is assurance that we are Christ's. Where there is regeneration, we can look back in the rearview mirror of providence and see election. As thou hast brought us through all these things, confirming them in our lives, can look back and see that we are one of the chosen, that glorious reality flowing from the heart of God the Father and His love. We thank Thee, O God, for Thy salvation, the salvation which, in a sense, mystifies us and yet rejoices our hearts this morning. Grant that this morning again to dead sinners, rejoicing, coming out of the grave of sin and death to the glorious liberty of the sons of God through the Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.